What's up, Revolution? That is so lame. It's like one guy. What in the world? All right, so let's try that again. What's up, Revolution? There we go. It is good to be back, man. Dave Dunham, I want to thank him. He did an awesome job preaching over uh, the summer. I had a lot on my plate, including a lot of physical problems, and, and he stepped up to the plate, knocked it out of the park, and so we are um, now transitioning back into what we usually do at Revolution, which is um, tackle a, a book of the Bible for a very long time, right? And so what we're transitioning, we're going to talk a little bit about Revolution, why we do Revolution, what, um, what we hope to accomplish with Revolution, and this is going to transition into next week when we start the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark is probably the earliest written uh, gospel. And let me tell you, we are going to be in Mark for like more than a year. All right? We are going to go verse by verse through Mark, work through that. We're just going to go through the first like few verses next week, talk about John the Baptist, what's going on there. And it's going to feed into what we are doing tonight. Tonight we're talking about Revolution Church. Every year, this is our uh, roughly fourth anniversary, and every year we talk about why it is that we're doing this. See, when, you know, when Ryan and Justin and ever we were all on staff at another or a church or attending another church, volunteering at this church, and the church has a lot of great people in it, but we just had this, this, this vision to reach people that no one else was reaching, right? We wanted to go downtown. We wanted to reach out to, to, to people, do things differently so that everyone felt they were welcomed. It didn't matter how many t- if you were tatted up. It didn't matter how old you were, how young you were. It didn't matter if you were all pierced up to the point where you looked like you like headbanged your, like, a, like a bunch of fishing tackle. It didn't matter. We didn't care about that. We didn't care about any of that. All we cared about was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to respond to that gospel, and that's all we cared about. And that we wanted to focus like a laser on that. And I'm going to talk more next week about why it is and how it is that even the best churches, and what I mean by best churches are churches with the absolutely best intentions and wonderful people and committed people, that even those churches can facilitate a way in which people use religion to hide from God. Right? Next week, we're going to talk about, we open the Gospel of Mark, it's how people often use religion to hide from God. And that sometimes what you have to do is you have to step outside of the mainstream, even if that means worshiping in a building that looks like a set from Saul 4, right? And so step out of the mainstream and to do that in order to challenge those who are religious to truly meet God. Because one of the things we can do is we can show up to church every week and we can keep the rules and feel like we're just fine. And what I'm going to talk about tonight is the Bible's bigger than that. It presents a much bigger picture and it demands a lot more. Revolution is centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the best shorthand I can give you for the gospel is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Right? If we've got that, throw it up. 
2 Corinthians, we usually have Bibles for you there. I'm not going to ask you to open those and turn to them tonight because there's not one at every chair. There will be next week. We ordered 150 more. They just didn't show up yet. I got a little thing, shipment delay, but they said they'll be here this week. So next week when you show up and we jump into the Gospel of Mark, everyone will have a new Bible and you can take that with you if you wish. But tonight I want to talk about 2 Corinthians 5.21. Here's what Paul wrote. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's the gospel. That's the best shorthand of the gospel I know. And it's amazing to me how many people call themselves Christians where you ask them what the gospel is about. In fact, I was at a pastor's conference a few months ago in Columbus. And I was sitting with the associate pastor of a very large church up north. And I told him, he asked me, well, what, you know, what's the difference with your church? I said, everything's centered around the gospel. Everything is about getting to the core of the faith and just landing there. And I said, you know, I, I just got sick of going into churches and going, what do you believe? And they're like, uh, uh, uh. And he goes, yeah, I'm not sure what we'd say either. I guess we'd say we're different. I said, so does the girl who works the counter at Hot Topic. Whoopee, man. What, we're different? What does that mean? That's not the gospel. Everything needs to be about the gospel. So let's unpack this real quick. For God made Christ who never sinned. So Jesus Christ comes to earth. He is God in the flesh. And yet God in the flesh, He is tempted. The Bible says He is tempted in every way that we are tempted. Every single way. So any way that you have been tempted... Any way that you've been tempted in a way that if it were to become public knowledge, you would like move to another state and change your name. He faced that too. And he overcame it, but he understands because he's been there and he's felt that tug, that tug of, I, I, I need to do this. This will help me. This will, this will stop the pain. This will give me a little bit of pleasure for a moment when I just feel like, ugh, all the time, right? He felt that. And yet he overcame it. But he didn't overcome it just so he could say, see, it wasn't so hard, right? I got that a lot. Growing up from a lot of Christians in and out of my church and the people on the radio. You know, sometimes I listen to these radio preachers and they're just, they talk like, what's the big deal? You just don't sin. And I remember being a teenager going, the big deal is I've tried. I'm not good at it. Right? I was not good at not sinning. In fact, I was really good at sinning. I was like an all-star Right? I pulled it off well. Jesus didn't overcome sin just to hang it over our head. He overcame sin for a specific reason. We'll come back to that in just a second. And then it said that He made it the offering of our sin. So Jesus goes to the cross. Now you have, in the last 20 years, it's become real fashionable in churches to talk about Jesus going to the cross so that he could identify with the oppressed. Okay, there's some truth to that. That Jesus could feel what... God himself could feel what death is like to relate to us. Okay, there's some truth to that. That's not the main reason he went to the cross. 
main reason he went to the cross was to pay the penalty for all of our sins. Jesus Christ takes our place on the cross. And when he screams, why have you forsaken me? He is taking every one of our sins, all the little ones, all the big ones, upon himself. He takes the punishment for that upon himself so that those of us who understand the gospel and place our faith in Jesus Christ, which means believe in Jesus, but also place our loyalty in Jesus, that we trust in Jesus, he takes that punishment for us so that we never have to face it. Now, I'm going to talk in a little bit. We will still face trouble. We still will face hardship. In fact, he calls us to do that. But that is nothing to compare to what happens at judgment. When we stand before a holy God and have to give account for our life. The simple fact is Jesus steps forward and says, I pay the penalty for him. I pay the penalty for her. So there is no penalty. There is no purgatory. There is no hell. There is nothing. God will not punish you eternally for your sins if you place your faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sins and to pay for it twice would be unjust. Right? Does that make sense? That's why he goes to the cross. And the reason he lived the perfect life was to grant that to us as well. See, if Jesus takes the punishment for our sins, okay, we're neutral, we're even. But that doesn't mean we're good enough to get into heaven. That doesn't mean we're good enough to live an eternal life with God. That just means we're not going to hell. If Jesus just paid the penalty for our sins, like, okay, you cease to exist, good luck, gone. But because Jesus lives a perfect life, He grants that to us as well. He gives us both His life and His death. He grants that to us when we place faith in so that we are judged by His life, not ours, which means because He lived a perfect life, you have a perfect life in the eyes of God, and you get eternity. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So because Jesus has done all this for you, so you cannot earn your salvation in any way, shape, or form, the response to that is very important. Our, what we want to do is proclaim the gospel. And our mission is for those who have responded to the gospel to then show you how to respond to it in a way that honors God. And so that you have a life that matters. A life that really matters. See, I used to think, when I ran away from home at 15, and I made my way out to Hollywood at 17, I thought that a life that matters is one where I had a lot of cash, and I was really famous, and I had a lot of awards. And it's only now, looking back on that, I think how empty it would be. Nobody with their last dying breath goes, at least I got an Oscar. It doesn't happen. Nobody with their dying breath goes, Take me to my Lamborghini. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't happen, man. Right? That's not what a life worth living is all about. What is the response? In Revolution, we decided the response was three steps. Worship, grow, serve. That's our vision, that's our mission, that's what we try to put in people in a discipleship process where you worship, you grow, you serve. And I want to touch on all three of those before I shut up and we practice some worship. Now, worship is something that 
When I was studying for this, it's interesting. When we think worship, we typically think, you know, that we mumble a couple of hymns, right? Whenever they tell us to. That's not worship. And it's weird that if you do like a study of worship in the New Testament, worship is a word that's actually fairly rare in the New Testament. There's not a lot of discussion about worship in the New Testament. And when it's there, it's not what you think it would be. If you look at Hebrews 13, 15, throw that up there. If you would, please. Paul says, therefore let us, I think it's Paul, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual, continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. Continual. Paul does not say, so be sure to show up on Sunday morning in khakis and sing just as I am 40 times. He says this is a continual sacrificial life that brings praise to God. Often, when the New Testament writers talk about worship and praise, they talk about a life, not 20 minutes. That's how the Bible pictures worship, a life, a response to God. And for those of you who have never been here before, let me do my little riff. For those of you who heard it before, listen to it again and smile. Fake it. Right? When the Bible says, be faithful to your spouse, love your husband, and all that kind of stuff, and you're, when the Bible talks about not lusting, also, don't be a drunk, all that kind of stuff, those aren't rules. So we tend to think of those as rules that we need to keep. Okay, Jesus forgave me, but now I need to keep the rules or he's going to unforgive me. Right? Isn't that what we think? It's not rules, man. It's defining a relationship. And every relationship has a definition. If you don't think a relationship has defined boundaries and ways for you to relate to each other and love each other, you've never been in one. Or you're on your, like, your 15th and 15 months, and you're like, what's wrong? If somebody comes to me for, for marriage counseling, and they're just like, ah, she's the devil. She will not leave me alone. I mean, I'm sitting there, not bothering her, eating Cheetos, watching Sports Center, and she's like, this and that, and nag and complain, and ah. I'm like, you guys go out on dates, you talk to her? I say hi when I leave in the morning. I get up, I wave. What does she want from me? If you're watching like four hours of Sports Center during the day and you got like that white shirt that has permanent Cheeto stains on it, right? And there's like a cluster of Mountain Dew bottles around your feet. She's got some little bit of reason to complain, all right? 
because you're a selfish jerk. And you're not in a relationship. She's just there, and you don't want anyone else to have her. Right? A relationship is, I want to be with you. I want to do things that make you happy, and vice versa. Right? Now, I get the other, I get the opposite too. I get the girls who come in and it's like, he used to buy me flowers and, and he used to take me out and he doesn't anymore. And I was like, well, okay, what, you know, that's nice that he did those things and what did you do for him? I let him buy me flowers and take me out. I'm like, <laughs> no. It's not how it works. A relationship is, what can I do to love you? And you saying, what can I do to love you as well? So there are going to be times as a wife when the best thing you can do for your husband, he may, he's tired, you may be more tired, but you just, I want to show him that I love him. And so once in a while, you're going to turn on Sports Center for him, hand him the bag of Cheetos and a two-liter Mountain Dew and say, knock yourself out. And there are going to be times, guys, when you need to step up and say, hey, let's go out to eat. Where? Wherever you want to go. Whatever you want to do, let's do it. Now, I want to stay home and watch TV shows about cupcakes and wedding dresses. Okay, then you watch shows about cupcakes and wedding dresses. All right? And you smile like you're doing for me now. <laughs> You just do it. Why? To make her happy. And girls, you do that. Why? To make him happy. Why? You sacrifice to show love, right? Because that's what people in a relationship who love each other do. So, you don't become a drunk in order to show God you love him. You don't cheat on your wife or your husband or whatever. You don't lie to show God you love him. That's why you do those things. And you say, well, what has God done for me? I don't know, die? Right? Anything he does after death? That's icing on the cake, man. You don't have a right to ask for anything else. You didn't have a right to ask for the death in the first place. He is given for you. You give back, and you do that through a sacrificial life of, of worship. Worship is showing something what it is worth to you. So, when the lights go down, and Ryan comes up here, and he and Jeremy and Caleb and David, and guys, and they read you in worship, and the song lyrics come up on here, you don't sing because everyone else is doing it. You don't sing because, I don't know that song, but when are they going to play John Mark McMillan? I like that. I mean, it's amazing to me how the volume always goes up when we do John Mark McMillan, right? Because everybody likes that song. The only problem with that is it's not about what you like. We are singing to Jesus himself to show him what he is worth to us. It's part of what we do. So why do we do that if the New Testament describes worship as this continuous sacrificial life? Here's why. Because there will come a day when Jesus will return. And when He returns, He will make all things right. There will be no sin. There will be no death. And at that point, 
We will not struggle not to sin anymore. But what we will do for eternity is we will continue to worship. We will continue to sing to Him for all eternity. So when the lights go out and we start to sing, we are practicing for eternity. When Jesus returns, I, I, I am a preach, as a preacher, I'm out of a job. Ryan, Caleb, those guys, their job has just begun. Right? Because worship like that never stops. That's why we do it. We worship. We grow. The second step is grow. You will not... I, we hear this all the time. Dave hears it more because we pay him to listen to it. And... Not that we don't love you. We, I, I, I really love most of you. So... I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So... You know, you'll go and you'll sit down with Dave. Dave's job here is discipleship, right? He is here to help you figure this out, how, how to help you grow. And, and what he hears again and again is, I can't do this, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. There is, and there is no bumper sticker slogan. There is no, he cannot just sit there. He is, I mean, we, we, we turn on these stupid shows I don't care if it's Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or, or whatever, and we sit there and, and wait for that like bumper sticker slogan that we think is going to fix everything. Now, if that were true, those guys have been on the air for a couple years, wouldn't we all be healthy by now? Right? Have you seen a huge uptick in physical and psychological health since those guys hit the airwaves? I haven't. Because it didn't work that way. It's much harder. It's work. Man, you've got to work on this to grow. You've got to work. Showing up on Sunday to listen to a sermon and to sing is good, but that's just the first step. The real hard work begins Monday morning. Right? That's when things get tough. And, 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 and Dave and, and all of us are here to help you figure out Whatever your particular sin struggle is, whatever your particular personality is, we are here to help you figure out how it is that we can give you some spiritual disciplines and prayers and stuff to help with the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome that, slowly overcome that, because typically that's how it works. And we have to do it individually. It really does take kind of one-on-one. Now, we do have small groups. Those will begin in a couple of weeks. Those are important. We come together and we talk about the sermons. We talk about each other. We talk about what we need to be praying about. We talk about who we want to share the gospel with. All that is important. That's a huge step as well. We have free seminaries so you can come and learn theology and you can learn the gospel and you can learn how to read the Bible. And that's vitally important as well. But you also need to know how it is that whatever your particular sin struggle is, you need to sit down with somebody, be in accountability with somebody, and be working on that. You need a plan. You may dream about being like Jesus, that you're going to go get baptized, you're going to, and, the, and you're going to come up out of that water, and this light's going to come down from heaven, and you're going to hear this, oh, and you're like, yes, I sin no more. It doesn't work that way. That may be your dream. It's a very good dream to want to be like Jesus. That's the point of all of this, is to become more and more like Jesus. But you need a plan. A dream without a plan is just a fantasy. 
Understand that. A dream without a plan is just a fantasy. It will go nowhere. You've got to have a plan to work through this. We want to help you do this. If you've got the time, you should sign up for free seminary classes. You should all be in a small group. If you're in a recovery program, we'll be more than happy to send someone to there. But you need to be in a small group. But you also need to sit and think about, what do I struggle with continuously? And you need to sit down with somebody in accountability and work on it. You need to grow. You need to grow. And you need to serve. You need to serve. The Christian life is not about receiving. We are now at a point in America where the few people who do go to church shop around. We are a bunch of religious consumers and we will land at the place that we think makes us feel best. Right? Show me that in the Bible. Anywhere. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. It's not about receiving. It's about serving. Again, Jesus has done everything for you. He's secured eternity for you. How are you going to serve Him? And there are many ways to do that. The Bible is very specific about one. We've been over this verse many times. You throw out Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This talks about when Jesus returns. This is Jesus himself speaking about his return and what will happen. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is where things take kind of a Tarantino-type turn. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord... When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go away into eternal life. It's final judgment. How you treat the poor, how you treat the homeless, how you treat the, is how you treat Jesus himself. You treat them well, you've treated Jesus well. You haven't, you haven't. 
You say, wait a minute, I thought you said we didn't earn our salvation. You don't. This is just something you do out of love. If you really love Jesus, and Jesus says, the way I want to be loved is I want you to take care of the poor and the hurting. And you say, I don't want to love you that way. I want to love you by staying home and watching Joel Osteen on Sunday morning. That's how I want to love you. That's like saying to your wife, I want to love you by, watching, by playing Xbox 360 all day. That's how I express love. You're trying to take over the relationship and state what it should be like. Jesus is saying, if you really love me, this is what you would do. That's simple. And you say, man, you can get into a lot of trouble doing that. And you can get hurt, cost you a lot of time and money. Yep. I have people all the time say, is it safe? Nope. Are you telling me to risk my life? Yes. Why should I risk my life? Because God died for you. That's simple. Christian life is not about avoiding trouble. The Christian life is about going into troubled places. Trouble is the only thing that really changes people. Do you ever think about that? You never change without trouble. You never change without challenge. You don't. Have you ever met those people? I meet a few of them here. I met a lot of them when I lived in the city, when I lived in L.A. I was at a private school before I got kicked out. And, and, the, and the people there were usually pretty wealthy, right? And their parents just threw cash at them. And they were good-looking kids, and they had great clothes and great cars. And it just seemed like everything worked for them. You ever notice how shallow those people are? They're just shallow. Because unless you face trouble, that's what you become. You just become shallow and self-centered and basically, in God's eyes, worthless. Trouble changes you. God is looking for people to entrust with trouble. You think about the Bible. Moses, what kind of gig did he have? Right? Joseph. Over and over again, the people that God calls, he never calls them to an easy life. The only person I can tell who had a really easy life that God called was Solomon. Right? Everybody wants Solomon's problems. Guys especially want Solomon's problems. A thousand chicks? Sign me up! <laughs> the only problem is... This is a little controversial. I'm not sure Solomon made it to heaven. It doesn't look like in his latter years he was in a good place. If you spend the last couple of years worshiping false gods because your wives want you to, I'm not sure where you ended up. It's usually the people that God puts in trouble that are eternally blessed. Right? The so-called heroes of the faith, even though really Jesus is the only hero in the Bible, you take a look at how they ended up. Isaiah gets sawed in half and not as part of a Vegas show. 
literally sawed in half, right? Jeremiah's like, God tells Jeremiah, go speak to my people. Yes, Lord, what do you want me to say? I want you to say this. Fantastic. Then what will happen? They won't listen to you. They won't listen to me right now, but like next week? No, they're never going to listen to you. Ever? Never. Go. This is what he does. He is looking for people to entrust with trouble. Right? That's what the Christian life is about. In response to the gospel, we worship, we grow, we serve. We put together a plan. You can talk to me, Dave, Ryan, Justin about it. We want you to get involved. We do not think you will grow without it. Typically, if a person comes and they shows up, they show up a revolution, they don't join a small group. They don't go and serve, and there are other ways we can serve. I'll talk about that in a second. They end up, I don't see them again. They fade away. Until I get a Facebook message where six months later, oh, I'm, I'm really hurting. I bet you are. Because you can't do this on your own. You can't. You cannot. You've got to have people around you. You need a community around you that's going to hold you accountable and it's going to love you and it's going to challenge you and it's going to send you out into the troubled places. That's what you need. I was called to belong to Jesus Christ when I was 24 years old. I was 24 years old. I was, I was working on Capitol Hill. I was getting ready to run for state senate in a year. I was lining up support. I was ready to rock and roll. And a doctor comes in and says, you've got cancer. And I came to Jesus Christ by begging for my life. He gave it back. I go to seminary. I graduate the top of my seminary class. I start preaching at churches for free while I was working at, as an attorney. And I felt really good about myself. And the simple fact was I was lost. I was not growing. I was stagnant. I was a terrible person to be around. And it wasn't until the gospel came crashing down on me and that I started doing this and I had guys like Ryan and Justin to hold me accountable and I had groups of people to hold me accountable and people praying for me and I ended up going to like the father's table and feeding the homeless people and all that kind of stuff that I really started to grow. And I wouldn't change it for the world. That's how it works, man. There's no shortcut here. There's no champagne room. All right? This is hard work. It's the way it is. If you become a member of Revolution, you go through this process, I'm not going to promise you it's going to be easy. I'm not going to promise you it's going to be fun. I am going to promise this. When you take your last breath, you can say, I've lived a life that mattered. And I know that the moment I stop breathing, Jesus will be there to say, no worries. I've paid the toll. I've lived a life. Now it's time for your real life to begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your gospel. I thank you for sacrificing for us, though we didn't deserve it. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you don't abandon us. You don't forsake us. Even when we're, we're in bad places, usually by our own hand, you don't turn away from us. And that once we get to know that gospel and your spirit comes into us, that if we truly commit ourselves to grow, if we worship you, if we grow closer to you, if we serve you, 
We can live lives that no matter what trouble is out there, we know we have you. And that's something no, no one can take, not even death can take away from us. We will always have that. Thank you for that. And may we stand and worship you for all your love now. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a time when we all stand up. For those of